Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Show. I'm your host, Jeremy Fake. The only show focused on Office 365 development, where I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. So before we jump into the show today, I wanted to highlight a few links from this week that you can go and check out in your own time. The first one being a huge triumph for us in the Office 365 team, kind of globally with everyone who touches Office 365 within Microsoft. Uh, With the new roadmap that's available now for Office 365, you will notice there's actually been some sneaky announcements in there that you can read between the lines on some new development updates that are coming along. And and as we get progression in there where they become more of an in-release cycle and closer to being um, down the pipe of being closer to that release, you'll see more blog posts which give more detail around some of those things that are there. One of the main ones to note is the first release for Office 365, which actually allows you when you're logged into the administration panel of Office 365 and your tenant to check that toggle which will indicate that you'll get those early releases um, typically around two weeks before the rest of the tenants get them. So you'll be able to opt in to those new features. Um, the wording is uh, update a minimum of two weeks before customers understand the release. So at least you get a bit of an option there from your development tenants to be able to get those things from an early release cycle, which is, which is pretty cool that you can now do that within, within the Office 365 service. Another one um, which is currently tagged as in development it's actually the first one in that list which is apps for office for excel online and this will allow you when you build an app for office now specifically targeting excel um, not only will you be able to target the desktop application but you'll also be able to target the excel online version as well and naturally over time we're going to be filling those those gaps that we have where right now we don't support for instance word online with apps for office that you've built for for word and over time we'll be filling those gaps so please keep an eye on the roadmap as every month we add additional things onto onto that roadmap. And if you read the blog post, it'll explain that um, what makes this roadmap is things within the next few months. So there's already been some comments around concerns about, well, there's a certain things missing here. Now, obviously, there are a few things that we are actively in progress in developing, but they're not going to be available in the next few months, and they might be a little bit longer. So you'll have to keep checking back every month and we will be improving the roadmap. There's already been a lot of demand for RSS feeds. So again, please check that. You can keep coming back to notice the new development things that will be coming through. Noticeably here as well, um, just to point out one more on here, is that the CSOM batch um, support will be available. Now, we've already had some feedback that maybe that wasn't clear enough from a roadmap entry. Um, Effectively, we already know the uh, .NET, Silverlight, and JSON client-side object model within SharePoint APIs does support batch. We can make various commands and then we call an execute async uh, command in each of those different uh, development platform languages. Um, But we're actually going to have support for REST OData APIs with batch support as well using the dollar batch tag. And I'm actually working on building out some blog posts and some samples so that as soon as that stuff's ready in the first release you're going to be able to test that. So that's really exciting news um, that we've got available to share with people now. Um, around that roadmap and um, and also it gives us the ability to talk about those things a little bit earlier with blog posts around those typical things that we we're releasing. Uh, secondly this week I picked out one um, by a good friend of mine, Wardak Mastercars, who um, blogs heavily on, on SharePoint and, and specifically highlighted some things that you need to be bear in mind when you're developing remote event receivers 
on your your tenant dev tenant where you, you might be redeploying remote event represent spit it out Jeremy remote event receivers uh, where the app ID might change depending on how many times you F5 and debug and he's got some nice little code that'll clean up those instance declarations in your dev environments where you might redeploy and the app ID changes but there will be references to old app IDs in there so that's a good little gotcha for development environments around remote event receivers um, the other one that I wanted to highlight was um, from Fabian Williams who highlighted some uh, kind of tips and tricks around SharePoint designer workflows and calling out to the host web um, inside your uh, inside your workflows deployed um, inside your app web and there's some good little tricks there that you need to do to activate a feature within your SharePoint site um, but also there's some declarations you need to make in your app web to make that work properly as well. So thanks Fabian for reaching out to us via our Yammer network and asking those questions and then I engaged some engineers um, to kind of respond to those things because I really honestly didn't know how to get around that and, and Fabian's been good enough to, to blog about that one. So if you're doing anything around um, SharePoint designer workflows uh, and apps, um, please make sure that you uh, check check that out. And then lastly, um, with regards to other pod shows that are out there, um, there's been a great pod show just released on the um, the opinions and thoughts on the future of SharePoint that Andrew Connell and Chris Johnson have been talking about. Chris Johnson being my manager here at Microsoft, but he does a great show with Andrew, who's obviously been in the SharePoint space for a long time. I think he's been an MVP for 10 years now, um, so he's getting on a bit. Um, but he still knows his stuff, and he's actively developing a bunch of things right now, and um, has got some really good thoughts around that. So I'd highly encourage, if you're interested in the cloud at all, uh, the Microsoft Cloud Show is a definitely good spot to hear, not just about Office 365 development, but just cloud in general across the Microsoft Microsoft world. There are some other great podcasts out there by people like Hilden Gilsnow that does The Moss Show. And good buddies of mine from over at the SharePoint Pod Show, which has been going around for a long, long time now, and um, they're getting a bit more frequent. I think Rob Foster's catching up and editing down some ed uh, videos, audio files, and I'm um, getting those shipped, so please check that out. Um, we've got some great shows that I've just listened to recently. And also there's a new one by a bunch of Office 365 MVPs, and actually I'm going to be on the show soon, so um, please check out the Office 365 FM Pod Show, which again, you can get in your, all of those you can kind of grab from your local mp3 uh, marketplace or from itunes and the windows phone stores as well so um, please go ahead and check those ones out and then actually one last one i want to um, cover is uh, russell max who i met uh, recently actually at i think it was TechEd, which i i've been reading his blog for years and years and he's um he's been very active and, and blogging about sharepoint and he's just posted something on setting up the infrastructure around provider hosted apps um, for an on-premises scenario so um, please go and check that blog out. Again, all these links will be in the in the show. And um, actually, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to add one more to this list. Uh, there was a great post on the Exchange Developer Network, which talked about uh, Developer Network blog, which talked about the journey that Zapier, which is um, a company that allows you to kind of trigger events based on things you, you tell it to l listen to. Um, so, for instance, I have one set up so that when I add anything to my BufferApp.com. Uh, list which plugs directly into LinkedIn and, and my um, and my Twitter feeds with all the links that I share. It also then um, uh, Zapier then grabs from Buffer and actually posts automatically to the Yammer external network to a specific group um, within that where I'm sharing links there and also um, plugs into um, a few other sources as well. So Zapier kind of automates a lot of those things based on actions. And there's some really cool announcements we've got coming around that stuff. So 
keep an eye out on um, that. But they, they, they built all this stuff on Office 365 API and they talk about their journey there of how they learned that API and some of the things that leveraging. So again, some great learning from a real world startup company that's decided to kind of bet on Office 365 and build um, integration into their existing services there. So without further ado, um, with this uh, the show here is really about a panel recording. It was done in Barcelona. It's the last show that I recorded uh, in Barcelona. And uh, the panel has got some real um, high-flying kind of Office 365 developers on it. Adis Hugo, who's been doing a lot of stuff, obviously he's an MVP, SharePoint MVP as well. Um, he's been doing a lot of stuff uh, in, um, in, in Germany and has got some good, good opinions in this, in this panel around some of the questions that were asked. Matthias Enig um, is SharePoint MVP. He built an app called, or a program, sorry, should I say, I've got to get the terminology right, a, a program called SPCAF, which is spcaf.com. Um, and it's a kind of a way of doing code analysis across your apps and your full trust code gives you a bit of tips around that and he kind of gave some guidance around some apps he's built for the store. Um, Thorson Harms, who's going to be on a future show with an individual um, interview, but in this one he's on the panel and um, Thorson's done a lot of work um, working experts inside in Germany also. Um, big, big pusher of JavaScript, so he's got some really good insights in, in this panel discussion, but also in the interview that will be coming out in, um, in, in a future episode, one, even the next one or the one after, I can't remember what now. And then Chris O'Brien, um, who's from England and works for Content and Code and blogs on SharePoint Nuts and Bolts. Um, if you're not following Chris, uh, he's been very active on Office 365 specifically with a team that he has in London. Um, and extremely um, strong in the ALM and deployment space and automated deployments and um, again as, as a wealth of knowledge around that and I'm definitely going to be getting him back on a, a show in the future as well and um, Radia Tazanova who we had on the show in episode 2 who talked about OAuth so if you haven't listened to that show please go back and listen to that um, he's a Microsoft certified master um, and, and a huge diehard fan of the app model um, has some apps in the store and again has some great insight there and then lastly, um, who, who tried to chair this panel, um, but typically with this many people with brains and uh, big outspoken voices, uh, found it pretty challenging. Um, and uh, Rodrigo Pinto uh, is very well known uh, SharePoint MVP from Portugal. And um, he did a good job of rounding this up in the end. Um, one thing I will uh, uh, apologize for is this show was actually recorded and the microphones were on the tables in front of us. So our, uh, our record is recording sound very sweet and soundly and it's very crisp. Unfortunately, there was a few people that were unexpectedly asked questions in the audience, um, which we didn't get a chance to run and get a mic. And rather than just delete the question and delete the answer, what I did was I kind of paused. In some cases, the, the panelists replied or responded by repeating the question. In some cases, they didn't. But I've, I've listened to this podcast and it does kind of make sense without really... Uh, there's, I think there's two questions where they, you don't really hear what the question is, but the answers are still solid. And I didn't want to remove them because there's some gold in there. So um, I appreciate your uh, patience up front with maybe it jumps um, a, a tiny little bit, but um, I think that you'll find overall this panel discussion is, is well worth listening to. So thanks again for your time. And uh, with that, I'll um, let you listen to the panel. And um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Office 365 Technical Network within our uh, Office 365 Dev podcast group. Good morning, guys. Thank you for, for, for attending this session. Uh, basically, uh, in this session, we are going to uh, do an open discussion board with some of 
this guy and this guy, a smaller one. <laughs> uh, basically, my name is Rodrigo Pinto. I'm a SharePoint solution architect in, in Everest in Portugal. Uh, I've been around this platform since uh, 2005. Uh, I got a, a couple of the board of panelists. I'm going to speed up because of, of the time. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys to, to present yourselves. So start with uh, Addis. Yeah, hey, I'm uh, Adis Hugo, uh, working uh, as a SharePoint solution architect and consultant since <laughs> quite some years now. Uh, working at the moment for a German consultancy, the Rosa Solutions. Hi, I'm Chris O'Brien. Uh, I specialize in the dev and architecture side of SharePoint. Uh, I lead a team of 20 devs in uh, a company called Content and Code in the UK. Uh, Jeremy Thake, newly appointed at Microsoft in the um, office division in product marketing. So I look after the pro developer story. Um, so I work with engineering and then work with you guys to get the feedback back to them. Matthias? Matthias Einig, MVP in Sweden. Um, I'm having my own company. Uh, I have a tool called SPCAF for code analysis of SharePoint projects. I'm doing SharePoint for 10 years now. And yeah, focus primarily on ALM in SharePoint. Uh, Radi Atanasov. I run a company called One Bit Software out of Bulgaria. Um, we basically have a few apps on the App Store, so we've been through the pain of publishing them, building them, developing them, figuring out how to do it all. Okay. Last but not least. Yeah, Thorsten Hans from Germany. I work for Experts Insight, mostly focusing on the development side for Office 365 on SharePoint. We also have an app on the App Store, so we also know the yeah. pain. Uh, <laughs> Advertising. Yeah, um, yeah. Question number one. During each version of the, of the platform, the SharePoint application development was, uh, sorry, the SharePoint application development is facing new challenges. How do, you, how do you guys uh, see a SharePoint developer should embrace this kind of transactions? Like a mindset, it's like, uh, like a little guidance. Embrace them. Yeah. <laughs> embrace Ch yeah, Change it's... is good, <laughs> definitely change is good, and uh, there's no way around it anyway. So uh, sooner or later you have to cope with, with these changes and somehow get started with it. And um, yeah, I think um, the reason behind the whole new development model um, is pretty clear now after uh, over, uh, over a year now, or one and a half years now, it has been introduced. Um, there are just too many problems in the old school farm, de uh, farm solution development model which um, somehow need to be addressed or needed to be addressed. And I think um, it's a good move to prepare very well now for the future there. So, don't you yes, agree, but, guys? But the, the, I think the, the idea with this question was regarding uh, what, what's your mindset? Uh, and I know you have to change the, mm -hmm. the, you, the stuff you are doing. Uh, you, you are doing and you have to do right now. But I, I, I tend to, to encounter uh, developers that uh, they have difficulty to change the mindset like uh, you are doing uh, in early ages, you were doing farm mm -hmm. solutions and right now you're doing uh, the, the client side, you know? The, I think the idea was that. <laughs> I think um, with regards to the mindset, a lot of the feedback I get from um, speaking to people is that the people have been a SharePoint developer for so long. Like I've been in the SharePoint business since the 2003 days where you were pretty much hacking the hell out of SharePoint to do anything to make it not look like SharePoint. And over time that's changed to you leveraging it more as a platform. 
I guess we've all lived in this world of solution packages and feature receivers and feature stapling and really thinking in the world in that way. And the app models it is a different way of approaching how you customize your apps. And it's rather than building in SharePoint now, you're really building outside of SharePoint and leveraging those platform services. So I think the mindset change is that, you know, the SharePoint of old that we're all familiar with is um, it's very different to how you would work with other platforms because you will be, be building inside it. Uh, and now we're kind of building outside it using the plumbing, which is much more similar to how other uh, platforms work. So it's a good shift because it means you'll be able to easily adopt other platforms, but it's a hard shift because we're so used to building right within the guts of it, and now we're not. <clears throat> even I would like to take the story a bit even outside of SharePoint. I mean, I'm, doing, I'm professionally doing software development since 91. It's a couple of years now. Uh, and the only thing that has been constant is change. It's basically uh, the, the only, only, only what uh, remains to change how we are doing software. And with or without share, uh, SharePoint, the world that we are living is changing now. Hell, I want my car to be able to read me my Word document, even if it's stored in my SharePoint library. Okay, it's a long shot, but <laughs> building... Build, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You're but <laughs> building web parts and application pages and feature stapling is not going to work for that long. And this is the mindset that we will... If we want it or if we, if we do not want it, we will have to embrace somehow. Okay. To build on that, I think <coughs> cloud, I have to say at least cloud once per question. Answer, right. <laughs> so, um, <yeah. laughs> You've got to say that. Well, the, this disruptive innovation, as Dan Holm calls it, is changing the, the, the landscape of development significantly. Um, and you'll see that with absolutely every other platform and ev every other software vendor is harnessing the power of the, of the device to use um, and render web content is, gives us enormous potential of computing power that um, <coughs> the cloud has, but now we're reaching it out to the client side. And I think <coughs> in the next years, we're going to see how client-side development is going to be absolutely key. And everyone is investing in client-side development in such a way that traditional feature stapler developers uh, are finding hard to do. So the mindset is, and it's hard for everyone, is the mindset is that cloud-first is going to be extremely strong. We all know that Microsoft is completely changed into a cloud and devices and services company, and that's their mission, devices and services first. So, so if we're going to stay in the Microsoft world for the next 10 years, then that is going to be our first and primary focus. I think uh, one of the things which I struggled most uh, at when I, when I somehow made the shift to the cloud was basically uh, I was stuck, as, you, as Jeremy uh, said, I was stuck somehow in that thinking I have to customize SharePoint. I have to somehow extend SharePoint for functionality, and I do that within SharePoint. And now my thinking has changed somehow more like, okay, I make a business solution somehow, and I'm leveraging SharePoint functionality separate off SharePoint, running in an app, running... Uh, separately, like uh, let's say, for example, a holiday request system or whatever, I run it as a separate business solution um, and just leverage the functionalities like authentication, data storage, whatever, from SharePoint. And this is just a little bit of a change of thinking. And it's not the technology thing, actually. The technology is something else, but we have been doing JavaScript and all that stuff before as well. So it's not entirely different. You, you want to add something, Chris? Yeah, I was just Chris. going to say, I think probably the good news about having to move in this direction is, you know, 
the technologies that it's moving to, you don't need expensive training courses to acquire these skills. You know, because it's JavaScript and in some cases MVC perhaps in, in ASP.NET, you know, these are fairly commonplace skills. And whilst I, I don't necessarily buy into the Microsoft message that, hey, here's the app uh, development world and, and you can use all your, all your old skills that are just sort of non-SharePoint skills, for most of us, actually, that doesn't quite work for me because my core skills are SharePoint <laughs> and actually not in JavaScript and MVC. But nevertheless, to acquire those skills is actually relatively easy. I don't need to seek out a specialist training company and pay for an expensive training course. Lots of resources on the internet to move in that direction. Yeah, just to, I know we want to jump to the next question, but yeah, just yeah. around that, I think that the, the other thing which I'm a little bit strong on right now, I'm, again, for week six, I'm just kind of measuring how pushy I should be on it, but um, I've always found that we've never been the cool kids. And when I say we, I mean SharePoint developers. If you go to another conference like a tech ed or if you go to a, um, a hackathon or whatever and they go, oh, what do you do? And they go, oh, you're a SharePoint developer. They're like, that's cute. <laughs> because every time right. we've shipped to SharePoint, whether it's a SharePoint 2010, we were on .NET 2.0 and everyone else in the world was running three. And then when we shipped 2013, it was like, well, can we use a 4.5 stuff? Well, you kind of can. You've never really had to be able to do MVC because you were building on top of SharePoint that wasn't an MVC model. And whereas the rest of the world have been using MVC for a long time and you know, unit testing has never been anywhere near fathomable with, with SharePoint development. So I think it's an opportunity for everyone that's been doing SharePoint development to kind of match those skills and make your career-wise career a lot more opportunities. So, uh, it, but to Chris's point, we've, we've not done that. Like, if you give me an ASP.NET MVC project, I'm scratching my head going, I don't, I'm not even sure how to start here, because we've never had to do it. So it is an opportunity to learn those things and be able to expand your skill set for sure. There's a lesson you can, you can, uh, you can grab from the, from the apps, you know. You can leverage uh, SharePoint 2010 development and, and, and early on uh, based on, on decoupling some, a couple of services. And then when you go to the, the SharePoint 2013, you already have your, your uh, small small interface and, and small, serv small service decoupled from, from the, the farm solution. So you, you, you can, even if you don't, if you don't, you don't using uh, the, the app model right now, you can uh, think of ways of doing it uh, within your current uh, development. Yeah. I think this question comes right. up a lot, and it, the, 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 the case it comes to the key word is mindset, right? Yeah. We've been in a world where ever since the beginning of SharePoint, there's been an encouragement to, you know, modify files on the SharePoint Farm server, right? To, and the messaging changed in the 2007 days, you know, don't go and overwrite an out-of-the-box SPX page. So don't hack at the files that are getting stored by SharePoint. You know, you should only be using delegate controls to inject things on pages. And, you know, use SharePoint Designer to edit the master pages to modify the layout and look and feel. I think the reality is, is that, you know, that encouragement has been around for so long now, you know, making SharePoint look, not look like SharePoint. And I think that's been to the detriment of business users because, you know, you jump into a SharePoint environment and you might think you know SharePoint, but depending on what developers have done to change things, it, it really hurts the learning adoption curve. So I think Microsoft pushing the app model to kind of dial back, not, make, not making SharePoint not look like SharePoint, it is a good thing for the fact that the stability of the, the platform, for one thing. Um, but it is definitely that mindset of, you know, you don't, you don't immediately go to go, right, how am I going to hack SharePoint for exactly what my business user is asking, rather than what can SharePoint's building blocks give me to get to the business solution, but what can I almost uh, push back on the business user and go, no, no, this is how SharePoint works. This is the UI you're going to have to 
have to use. If you want something completely outside of the realm of looking like SharePoint, just do a full page immersive app and you completely control the UI there. Um, and that, that's definitely the mindset change. We've built on, sorry, we've built in SharePoint for so long and hacked at it. Now the mindset really is, you know, get to that immersive page and use SharePoint more as that presentation later launch into each of our individual business apps. It's definitely a lot of people st struggling with that aspect of it. Question over there. Um, so your question is very interesting, and um, just to repeat that question, if um, all the way I comprehended it is, what does SharePoint provide you as a platform to build those custom solutions? Why should you consider SharePoint as a potential component to your solution that you're providing to your clients as, as part of something you're doing? So um, uh, the reality is that sometimes SharePoint is not the right product for the problem, and um, in consulting, I often have to use SharePoint just because it's there and the client has chosen it for one reason or another, it's been sold to them and, and those things. And then we use that framework to build some kind of a custom solution. Um, what SharePoint provides you is a few things. Um, it, it provides you a framework that can scale, that you can um, provision sites, and um, it provides you a huge API set that um, you can store and retrieve data and files, which might not be the best thing for the solution, but it does provide that, and, and we do use that. And you can argue that the data structures in SharePoint are completely inefficient and absolutely illogical to the way data should be stored and, and, and those data-central-driven solutions. So um, when I approach a problem like that, I try to think of the fact, well, okay, SharePoint is here. Is it the right thing to do for this actual problem? Is it the right place to store the data? Is it the right place to store the documents? Maybe. Is it the right place to run workflows? Maybe it's not the right place to do forms and um, uh, UI things. And is it the right place to do UI? And um, we run into those things. Where I get big value is authentication, some kind of a framework for authentication, provisioning in scale so I can add X amount of servers at any level of the stack. Um, and I get the existing collaboration features, which is hopefully something um, close to the business need that that is part of the solution that I'm building. So, And search. And search. And search. Search is the big one, yeah. I think also, like, looking forward, the, the way the ship cycle is going, the Oslo that was talked about at the SharePoint conference as well, um, is going to be very strong from perspective of, it's another service layer that you use. The, the big mindset change, again, is that it's not just SharePoint now. Um, I, my audience isn't just SharePoint developers, it's Office platform developers. So you think about mail, you think about calendaring, you think about task management, you think about document management, OneDrive for business, you think about search, social. All those services are at your disposal and it's one API layer that you can call. That's kind of the vision that we're moving towards is that you, know, you build your business app and, and these things are just the, all the glue that you can pull together to build it. And so it is really those building blocks. It will get clearer as we move forward on what those building blocks are and, and that Rad is right. It is hard to sometimes know whether it's the right fit or not. Well, I mean, it's really down to kind of the CIO of the company, right? I mean, nobody is saying you have to move to the cloud. Nobody's saying you have to change anything. Yeah. It's just that there might be compelling reasons to do that. And the clients that we speak to, we now in a place where it's kind of 50-50 what they're really approaching us for, you know, whether it's on-premises SharePoint or Office 365. <laughs> and even in the 50% for on-premises, most of those guys are saying, 
you know, we probably are going to end up in the cloud. Um, we don't know whether it's two years or 10 years, but in the end, we will. And really, it's just the typical cloud stuff that drives them there. The, the cost savings, the efficiencies, the ability to offload some of, this, some of these responsibilities that they're not doing a great job of, you know, like backup and restore, high availability, proper capacity planning, the stuff that is actually challenging for a, an environment with 200,000 users. You know, it, it would be nice to really slash costs on that stuff for many CIOs. So I think that's why th th there is a certain drive to it, but nobody's making you do it. Microsoft have said that they'll continue to support on-premises. It's just a cost-benefit analysis, right? Yeah, so just to be clear, the, the, the on-premises is, is not going away. Bill Bauer two weeks ago stated that there will be a new major version of SharePoint next year and that there will be another major version after that. And then the, the, state, the official statement right now is that if there is demand for another one after that, they will continue to ship major versions. But if there isn't demand there because everyone's moved to Office 365, which you know, Microsoft is, is trying to achieve, then maybe there won't. But right now we know there's at least two major versions coming. Already in Service Pack 1 that was shipped recently, there was a ton of features in there that were from Office 365 that are new features. So it's not like we show that Microsoft are going to show the fancy features in Office 365 and you know, you're going to miss out. There's stuff that's already been drawn back into Service Pack 1. So as Chris said, you, know, like, you don't have to move. Um, and you don't actually have to stop doing full trust code. It's just that the app model is going to give you better reach into all those services than you would do if you're a full trust person. Mm. And just, just to make one point about, you know, you, have, you might have an environment with 200,000 users. If you had two sort of engineering platforms there, and one was a website that was hosted centrally, and one was a desktop application that you deployed to 200,000 desktops, which would you find easier to update? You know, I mean, that's why Microsoft will innovate in the cloud first, because they can and because it's easy. They just have, essentially, one central place to update. But, you know, rolling out a change to everybody across the world, their SharePoint 2013 on-premise environment isn't as simple. It's going to take time, I'm sure. So um, I, I understand the points that you said there, that um, adapting the, the, the platform and the framework takes a lot of time and a lot of uh, maturity. I think um, it, it is still in its infancy. I think it's just about starting. We will see companies starting to adopt processes around that and consider that first. And the reason why they're considered first is because it's proper guidance for all the reasons that we said. Just quickly, how many of you guys, put your hands up, how many of you guys are on 2013 already? Okay, so that's probably 20% of the room. How many are more. on? More. 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 How many are on 2010? Yeah, she's about the same. 2007? Oh, 2003? <laughs> <laughs> 2001? Okay. So there was a, there was a handful of uh, 2010 and kind of a bit Can we, uh, yeah, can we get like seven questions to go through? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, shoot, shoot it through and we'll try to be productive and as quickly. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. 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 Key we, we definitely had um, some messaging issues by calling it the cloud app model and people are immediately thinking cloud means Office 365. The app model, which is what it's been changed to, so you won't hear the word cloud app model anymore from us. The app model is very viable on-premises for that exact reason. When you upgrade to the next major version when it's released on-premises, you, you, if you're in the app model, 
your apps are all sitting outside on their own services. So if you've not, you know, broken the UI and deployed stuff into the into the layouts folder and the hive, then technically you're not going to have those upgrade issues that you, you would have if you're doing that, that approach. Yeah. So it do, it makes you a lot more future safe on upgrading. There are lots of benefits to the app model. Well, that's definitely one. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's a good comment. And, and we have an on-premises project right now which is doing that, and it's you know we call it cloud friendly, um, and it's. You know, the other thing that I say to my guys is um, don't necessarily think of it as the app model, just call it the remote code model. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not quite as marketing friendly, uh, but yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> no, but basically, you don't have to go all the, the, the whole mile all the time. Like, if you uh, somehow have some limitations and you don't see a, a way to, to solve it in the app model, you can still have some full trust code. Uh, provide your own rest endpoint or whatever, and leverage that part which you run on full trust code um, from the app ready or cloud ready uh, code you already have developed for for the rest of the functionality. So it's not always entirely doing everything in the app. That's at least my advice. Let me ask another question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot <coughs> a lot of developers doing full trust code solutions, not leveraging the app model. It's like a in your opinion, what, why is this happening? I think the requirements. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, for me. Uh, you know, I haven't I haven't written any full trust code for the last two years. Oh, okay. So uh, it works. Yeah. Um, um, the good thing um, about full trust code is we all know that our customers are demanding uh, to build uh, yeah rockets based on SharePoint. Um, because we could in the past, and it was the wrong way. You know, we we used um, we used Reflector in order to find some holes in an API from a product in order to make things happen. And if you, as a service provider or as a uh, as a as a company, uh, sell your product, and hundred thousands of devs are looking for holes in your API in order to stack their new own products based on your one. You have to fix that in order to provide a level, uh, a service level, in order to guarantee that your product will will function. And I think, yeah, that's uh, that's a problem why a lot of guys still stuck on that because they have existing customers who are demanding exactly the same experience they got from 27, 2010, on 2013, but or they would like but to. But I think it's not only that, Torsten. Uh, I mean, we are we are not aware that. Techniques and technologies in developing uh, SharePoint sources are rapidly changing. We are getting rapidly new APIs, new JavaScript frameworks. I recently read a blog which uh, says jQuery is dead. And, uh, things are coming and appearing and disappearing, and people are confused. A lot of people are confused. What should we use now? Where should we go now? Then you have also prominent bloggers uh, which tell you uh, stay with what you are best at. Saved uh, full trust uh, farm solutions. This has been blocked just a few weeks, few months ago, appearing uh, in this case. So, a lot of people are, I wouldn't say scared, but confused with the speed of the new things are coming. And we definitely, it's a, it's a, it has been a warp 10 speed in the last yeah. two, three years. I mean, we, we all see that. And uh, as a standard defensive mechanism, we say, okay, we stay with this, what we work since. Three generations, three generations of SharePoint now, we are good at it, we, can, we are really proficient in the server-side object model, and it works, we stay with that. That's also a legitimate option, but I think it will be less and less acceptable option in the near future. And people will, 
We don't have to do anything majorly for people to see that. It will come naturally, as all the other technologies came naturally and spot spontaneously on the people. Next question. SharePoint 27 and <coughs> SharePoint 2010 are still out there. How do a share—it's kind of an answer would be. How do a SharePoint developers should prepare this custom development aiming for the new application development model? Basically, I think we are. I think Chris has already answered that question. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, to the next one. I just to add to that because um, I mentioned it in my session yesterday was. Um, what 20, SharePoint 2010 has been out for a long time, and if you're at the conference or if you look at the training material, there was a big push for using the client-side object model at CSOM and the REST APIs. Um, but a lot of people didn't jump. A lot of people stayed just using the server-side object model. Um, one way of future-proofing yourself to the app model, even if you're on full trust code now because maybe you're on SharePoint 2010 and not 2013, is if you're using those client-side models, CSOM and REST, when you do look to go to 2013, you can actually reuse a lot of that code and repurpose it. If you've written your code still and are continuing to write your code with the server-side object model first rather than see some rest, you're going to have to rewrite that entire thing when you migrate over to um, the new model. So there, that's one way you can definitely prepare yourself. And also, you know, just you know, stop customizing the, and, and breaking the out-of-the-box files that get deployed. Um, try and change that mindset of, trying to keep SharePoint looking as it is rather than kind of bending it in ways that it really shouldn't be bent. Okay, nice one. Yeah. What was your most challenging task you, uh, you did regarding the new platform? Understanding it. <laughs> as always. What, what part of understanding it? Uh, well, in beta versions, it was very difficult to understand what was going on and what's new and what's yeah. not. Okay, but it was outside yeah. of the beta where the training wasn't there. So, um, getting apps to work in a right way in a hybrid world is challenging. Yeah. I, I, I say yeah, that, yeah, so I confess I had a hard time. Right? Agreed, yeah. For me it was also like somehow finding my way around and doing all these JavaScript frameworks which I have never heard of before yeah. and suddenly uh, I'm, I'm uh, working in a company with a lot of uh, yeah, web and .NET developers and they are totally natural and every week there's a new JavaScript framework coming out which is so much better than the one before <laughs> and I think yeah okay so what um, yeah and then some, somehow getting an opinion about these first knowing about them then learning about them get, uh, getting an opinion about them that uh, is quite a challenging task and um, now I have the things somehow in place where I think okay this is what I need and I'm uh, feeling comfortable with it but uh, I think this is something which might trouble most of us or most of you probably as well should we maybe send that question yeah, to to the audience. What do you guys think? What, do you, what was extremely difficult for you guys when 2013 came out and you started doing something with it? What, what was something that was really hard and bad and not communicated well? So high trust apps and getting the um, closest thing to OAuth that is in SharePoint and configuring the certificates in order to have uh, on-premise app trust work. Yeah, that, that was um, communicated late in the game, in fact, two years late. So 
Um, I feel your pain. I, I've been there as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, the guidance on um, MSDN has got a little bit better over the last year, but it definitely wasn't an immediate priority for you know focusing on premises with the app model. Yeah. Um, I'm working with the content owners in Redmond right now. They're actually there's another revision of that document of how to get high trust configured um, with the PowerShell scripts. We've actually improved the PowerShell scripts. There's some new ones coming that should make that install whether you're on your local dev machine or whether you're getting your IT guys to do it in production um, environments ready. But yeah, I, I definitely hear you. It's not, especially as a dev who doesn't know about SSL necessarily and doesn't know about how to run PowerShell, that it, it can be tricky if, you know, whereas before as a developer, you could kind of cheat and do a next, next, next install of SharePoint and be done. There's some additional PowerShell steps now for sure. You don't have to run in SSL though to do um, SharePoint app model development. There is a way, there's a PowerShell thing you can run to stop that. But you should. We, you uh, should. On a development yeah. environment, yeah. yeah, but you should. But there's actually a TechEd next week in North America, which will be recorded on channel nine. I'm doing a whole session on that um, end to end of how to set up a dev environment and how to set up a production environment. So definitely check that out. That's good yep. to know. Yeah, I, I you. think, you know, we've probably all got experiences on stuff that was tough. I think for, for me, it was uh, a client that asked for an app which could run in hybrid environments. They could install it to a site on-premises or in the cloud. It could reach back to see their on-premises data. So they've got a big Oracle or SQL database on-premises. Uh, it had to have single sign-on, so there couldn't be any additional authentication prompts when you move from SharePoint into the app and the client was unsure whether it was going to go on their on-premises IIS servers or they'd be happy with Azure or some cloud platform. And actually, you have to traverse quite a lot of things to sort of you know, arrive at the answer to that. And, and very briefly, the answer was um, we built the app as provider hosted. It did a lot of its work using the cross-domain library, so we actually didn't really need um, sort of server-side code that could do full S2S authentication and uh, sort of ACS-based O-authentication. In terms of accessing the on-premises data, we built a web API service that um, we actually put on the, we expose it on the internet, so that's sort of like a public endpoint into their data, but it's secured. And both the sort of the API layer and the app itself, which they decided in the end to put in Azure, didn't need to go on their IIS servers. As soon as it's outside of your network, of course, it needs to be authenticated. You can't have anonymous people on the internet hitting that thing. So the answer was Azure AD authentication on the ASP.NET website itself and on the web API layer, because they're both public and in Azure now. Uh, and then you get single sign-on. It works on devices. Uh, if you aren't coming from SharePoint and hit the app directly, you don't have a cookie, then you get the Azure AD login page before you're allowed into the app and, and that was our solution yeah if you're not if you're not keeping up with the azure ad stuff that's being announced right now as a sharepoint guy you really should be keeping track of that um and and this auth model is you know office 365 leverages azure ad but if you build any app that also uses azure ad you've immediately got that link um and there's gonna be a lot of that messaging coming next week at TechEd as well so as a developer you should really kind of get your hands around that, how Azure AD works in Windows Azure and, and, and have, have a look at that. Oh, question, question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to keep answering the questions. Addis, come on, quiet. User interface, because SharePoint, first name of the SharePoint was SharePoint Portal Server. 
and I would like to stress the word portal in this uh, case because a lot of users, at least from my experience, want to have kind of a gateway, kind of a port to their business data, business logic, whatever. So yes, even if you are building a SharePoint app, uh, and believe it or not, I was building SharePoint web parts five years ago, which didn't store data in the lists, but we were storing data somewhere else. But people still wanted to see and work with that data inside the environment which they knew and which they were familiar with. And that was SharePoint. So I think it's a legitimate option to build a SharePoint app with, uh, which doesn't store a single SP list item if you want it that way uh, in your SharePoint. I mean, for documents, it definitely makes sense because you get a lot of the benefits of kind of Word and PowerPoint, etc. integration directly into the libraries. Um, and obviously versioning and workflow triggers and event triggers and uh, the views and metadata and all of that good stuff that you get with the building blocks of libraries. For list data, I mean, guys, what do you tend to do? Are you using custom lists or would you, as he's saying, put it in SQL? Yes, yes and no. I mean, if you remember two days ago in my session, I showed like a mixed model where I had a document in my architecture session, where I had documents in SharePoint library and uh, non-document, non-binary data in a SQL, uh, SQL Azure table. Right. And you can, with cloud business apps, you can really mix and form kind of visualization between those hey, two totally different data. You got a new hybrid, yeah. Yeah, and so you know, and it, it doesn't have to be or or, it can be end end. And depends, of course, how you want to expose the data. If the uh, data is just a plain list and it should be exposed also through the list, then of course it make, makes sense maybe uh, to have it in a SharePoint list. But if it's um, a relational data like, uh, where you have a little bit more data to store, then uh, of course yeah, it would SQL go to a SQL yeah. database. And, provide and, your and, it, your and it, if you have a large amount of data, I mean, if I don't really have yeah. to do the list throttling, I don't want to do the list throttling, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would rather store this in SQL Azure or some other SQL server. I think the two cases where you immediately jump to SQL from my days when I was consulting, when I was at AvPoint uh, building products, was if you wanted to do security at the column level, you know, SharePoint still doesn't do that. So if you wanted to hide a column from one business user or set of business users and not for others, you really can't get around that without hacking at the SharePoint pages. So that would be where you'd want to put the data outside of SharePoint and then you know, present, it, present it inside SharePoint by your own means. That would definitely be uh, one of the main ones. And I guess the other one, if you are heavily relational, you know, if you're building something that's fully normalized and you're using foreign keys and things, then SQL's probably where you should put it and not custom lists in SharePoint. Does anyone else have any other decisions around that, Mike, around? It depends if, uh, how many columns you have based on your types. Yeah, that's you true. All, we all know that after I think seven, six or seven yeah. fields from a single type. We got an inner join and the yeah. underlying tables from SharePoint for each and every list item. You know, and in the end, it's a performance question. Yeah. If you have five lookups uh, for relational data based on SharePoint lists, <coughs> try to query that data in a, and hit the hit the time frame the customers are demanding. That's uh, so storing data in SQL. It's more natural than putting it in. Yeah, and, and the app model makes that a lot easier as well because the nature of it now sitting off in you know a, on a on a web Azure platform or even an IIS provider hosted app, you know it's very easy to deploy a SQL database there as well. Um, it's definitely a decision point for sure. You know, uh, I always refer to that and I say uh, use SharePoint where it makes sense. Yeah. Yes. You know, storing documents in SQL Server, um, okay, I think SharePoint is better right, in yeah. that. But uh, storing re relational data in, in, uh, in, uh, in 
Uh, I, I, I saw uh, so implementing your own search based on SQL Server. Come on. So just <laughs> just to ensure you, don't I, I don't also think only in of SharePoint in the platform in the form of data. We always tend to forget that SharePoint provides some great services. Yeah. Let's just speak about. Service. Work management service, uh, service like the task aggregation, let's speak of the meta manage metadata, which you can leverage in your apps, yeah. which you can leverage even in your apps for Windows, like Metro apps or Windows Phone apps, and yeah. it's this cool stuff. SharePoint is not only document libraries and lists. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely start thinking about it more as a platform of services rather than immediately just thinking in a, in a document library world. That's, that's one definite mindset change that I'm seeing people result to just seeing SharePoint as a a document store. Next question. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, just, just kidding. Um, yes. Um, one, another challenging task that we had was changing our attitude towards JavaScript. Uh, <laughs> you know, I did the occasional jQuery to change some data size or something. Um, but after three months, uh, I, I do all through development. I, I will say, just to add to that, I know like Thorson's awesome at it. I've been a .NET guy for so long that I hated JavaScript for a wrong, long, long time, and I only just recently picked up using it with Angular. But one of the perceptions is that um, you, you have to build everything in JavaScript to use the SharePoint app model, and it's not true. Um, you know, you can deploy a provider-hosted app that's built in ASP.NVC, Ruby, you know, PHP. There's lots of different languages you can use to build the apps, which is a benefit too because it means you can leverage other developers within your company to build them. It's definitely one of the myths I see around is that you have to do JavaScript. It's, it, you don't have to at all. But there are benefits, obviously, if you have the client-side kind of in UI interface in doing it. Yeah. Forsen's done some great work around that too. You know, um, I think the main problem is somewhere between 2001 and 2003, when Microsoft said, hey, all you Windows developers, you are now web developers, and you don't have to care about all the stuff what's going on behind the scenes. And we are all doing SharePoint, which is a web-based application. But I think there are many developers out there who aren't aware of what's going on, at least when you do a post-back, which is, uh, you know, ASP.NET web forms is, from, for me as a web dev, is, it's just crap. <laughs> it is. You know, and uh, right now we have to care about things that are common for each and every web developer who does web development for the last 10 years. So HTTP, JavaScript, that's nothing new. REST is nothing new. And the good thing is the platform is now opening for a broader audience and hopefully we'll, we will see appearing new, yeah, a lot of new apps, of course, a lot of new competitors, but um, JavaScript isn't that bad. Yes, it is. No, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, sorry, sorry to say the JavaScript. I mean, I find the question really great. I appreciate the question. I mean, JavaScript is as bad as it was 10 years ago. We all do it. I do it. We all have to use it. But let's say we are trying to fix and patch JavaScript in 10 years with different frameworks, with uh, different uh, TypeScript, CoffeeScript, Frontors. I mean, we are, all we are doing since 10 years, we are trying to fix, pardon my French, bloody JavaScript. And... Thorsten is right in one point. We need to do it. We need to understand what's going on under the hood, what's, uh, how web works. But what I'm not seeing now, and that's why I find this question great, is that a lot of customers are getting unsecure. How and should they make uh, their investments? Because a CIO wants to make an investment that will last for some years. 
They, he doesn't want to make an investment to use a framework like this was this question jQuery or Angular or TypeScript. How can I be sure that this thing is going to be there in a year or in two years? Those things are coming and disappearing like in, on a monthly basis. And I do see a lot of insecurity in the business world, in the enterprise world, just for the simple reason that since 15, 16 years we are trying to fix JavaScript. Whatever you might think of that. Pardon my French. <laughs> I think the, the other one with JavaScript, and uh, Chris, you've had a bit of experience with this, but the, the, within the enterprise world is if you pick a framework like Angular or jQuery, you have to be very careful about browser support. Um, and in a lot of these big enterprises, they're not on the latest and greatest browsers. And so just before you make decisions, just check with the, the organization what the business users have. And, you know, SharePoint 2013 on its own, the, the, the minimum browser support can be an issue as well. And, but the, the addition of leveraging kind of things like Angular, if you try and use an Angular single page app with, um, you know, in a, in a very old browser, it'll kind of really slow down the machine or just won't work at all. I mean, what's your experience been there, Chris, with the stuff that you've been doing? Um, I, I don't think I have specific experience of that. I, I think one thing that is related that we have to worry about is lots of different projects, lots of different teams, lots of different frameworks, you know, across 20 devs. How do I make it so that um, dev number one can move between projects and not have a learning curve each time? And our only solution so far is to minimize the number of frameworks that we uh, prefer. I don't say we allow in our dev group, uh, but we just try and standardize on Knockout. And, uh, you know, that's, that's our um, choice. Just to follow up on that, another thing which I think quite challenging in the whole new app, app world is basically um, not the technology we're using, but also the user experience we are, we are implementing in our apps. Um, if I have, I don't know, uh, three different software suppliers in my company over a course of one and a half years and everybody brings their own team and everybody builds their own apps and everybody uses new controls, different technologies, builds their own UI and everything looks different than SharePoint. And this is, I think, one of the, uh, the challenging parts uh, also from, from the end user's point of view. Okay, I'm in SharePoint, but it does not look like SharePoint and then I go somewhere else, it's also in SharePoint, but has a total different user experience again. So I think this is still something which has to be developed to have some kind of standardization in your organization or even better, in general, for all of us. Um, but I think that will take some time still um, to, to get this uh, to that kind of level. What was definitely better in, in sh uh, old school world um, where you just had your master page and you had your controls and uh, everything was more SharePoint. With development, in SharePoint, there used to be a hard push to people that had to do some kind of a SharePoint solution but did not know SharePoint. And the typical scenario then was you have SharePoint on the side and you'd build your service and you'd deploy it in IS on the side. And then you'd use ASPX pages, which is something that developers knew, to call that service. And your business logic would be in your service and your data storage might be in your service to the back end. So... Um, from my point of view, the cloud app model used to exist always, and now it got componentized, productized, and publicized as the new way of doing things. And uh, in the direction of your question, we used to always do maybe JavaScript and things and calling services through the client-side object. Now it's just becoming the norm, um, and that is the way to do 
things when you have a hybrid environment, when you've got your services all over the place and, and those things. So I think the app model, yes, it allows you to do PHP-based stuff and call back into SharePoint as an opportunistic thing, but it's nothing technically new. It always, you could always have been able to do that. Um, and you could always done the other way around, where you do JavaScript in SharePoint, doing other things, calling other things outside of SharePoint. Um, so I think the landscape is just formalizing to what really matters. And I think the next five years is we're actually going to see what really matters and we're moving to a services world and, and the client processing power is going to give us that potential. I think, yeah, well, it, it definitely brought the auth story better for that scenario. Yeah. Like we've yeah. all kind of stored credentials and called SharePoint with credentials we've stored in our app. You technically don't need to do that now with the, the way that it handles all the authentication in SharePoint. The new Office 365 APIs, which use the Azure AD, you know, um, which I just showed yesterday around building a Windows 8 app or a Windows Phone app or an Android app or an iOS app. You, know, you, you, you hit SharePoint APIs and you get the common consent window that says, you know, do you trust this app to access your Office 365? That story is going to get very, very powerful in, in organizations where you're really just you're building your app on your phone and then you're just leveraging those services that sit within the Office platform. And again, I keep saying this Office platform word rather than SharePoint because you know, I really want to kind of home on you that it isn't just SharePoint you guys can use now. As an app model developer, I can immediately build for Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and all the other surface layers that we're adding. Um, and so that's really, really kind of important to know now that you're not just a SharePoint developer by using the app model. You're a web developer, which gives the ability to build across the whole Office platform. And I'm already seeing a lot of people being able to realize that servicing things in Outlook and servicing things in Word because you know the skill set of the app models is, is very powerful as well. And scripting is going to become key because now everything you can do in JavaScript, you write Windows apps, you can do TV apps, Xbox stuff, you do office automation with JavaScript. Um, you know, everything's moving towards the scripting language. It's, it's an interesting time that we're all in, especially if you're coming back from the server-side code. It's, it's a mind shift, it's a change. And, we as team leaders need to adapt it to our teams and, 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 and train people in JavaScript now. So it's, it's part of my job application. You have to know JavaScript to join my team. So, changing world. There's a question. Mm -hmm. no, over there, okay. Sorry. I mean, uh, I think we've been quite lazy during the last year. Since SharePoint 2010, we already had the JavaScript model. We had REST, we had the APIs, we had a lot of things to work with. Recently, I, I convinced a customer to drop off InfoPath, an InfoPath form, uh, making him um, a custom form with the rest JS JavaScript for the model. It loaded fast, it loaded immediately, and it uh, um, was built within two days. Uh, with InfoPath, I should have, uh, uh, should have took uh, five days. I mean, uh, we already had the tools. Uh, we didn't study them. Uh, we uh, us the opportunity to. Uh, gradually uh, used uh, JavaScript and uh, client-side uh, programming since SharePoint 2010. I think we should not, uh, we should worry in you know, sites and uh, but also in, uh, at all because uh, <laughs> um, we have already started this and uh, um, get used to to work on the on the client side. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I also have a big customer that we uh, we never drop off full uh, fast coding solution because uh, something. That cannot be uh, <laughs> done only with that. But uh, it's a great, great 
I think just to add to that, in terms of you know the opportunity, the other side of this is that where you guys have been the SharePoint developers because the normal web development people didn't want to touch SharePoint because they didn't like the way the development model was, the only thing I see as a risk now as a SharePoint developer is that now if those web developers who see that there's these REST APIs that they can use and they've already been building against other REST APIs out there, their skill set where they do know the JavaScript frameworks and they do know how to build an MVC in a testable way, they're going to be more primed to be building these applications. So there is a threat from the perspective that as a SharePoint developer, we have sat back a bit and kind of have not learned the new web technologies. And so, you know, I, I'm not trying to scare people, but it's kind of as a, a career thing, you really need to make sure that those guys don't kind of come into a, the territory of office development and, 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 and you know, and, and have those skills that you don't. So you really need to make sure that you are starting to learn those. And there's great tools out there for learning. Um, I'm currently using Pluralsight, um, which is like a monthly subscription thing to pull down, you know, training and when I'm commuting or on, on planes or whatever, I use it to like learn these new frameworks. But it's something that you should, you know, actively try and get into your career development is to learn these new frameworks because once these web developers see, and you know, part of my job is to make sure they're aware that they can be building apps, they're going to be coming in with all this knowledge that maybe as a SharePoint developer you haven't got. Yeah, um, and I think it's it's not only good for doing SharePoint or Office 365 development. Yeah. Um, so I, who knows me, they, we always uh, <laughs> yeah, discuss about client-side or not client-side scripting. I have no problem with client-side, I have no problem with that particular language. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I, can, I can teach you CoffeeScript. There's <laughs> only <laughs> two things in JavaScript. There's just an object and a function. That's all JavaScript is. Yeah. It's not that hard. <laughs> but but uh, imagine Microsoft had came up with Silverlight 15 or something like that. <laughs> Could be even worse, you know? Guys, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we have to wrap it up because yeah. it's, yeah. Okay, slide number four. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the other one is, well, the other question is like this. Okay, good one, bad one, ugly. Oh, yeah, do that. Yeah. I think we had quickly, already quickly. all these friends. <laughs> yeah. I think we have to send first. Yeah. 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 I'll do this question seven though. Do the next one. Oh, you want question five? Oh yeah, do the store one. Do that. Oh, it's my app. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any apps in the store? Well, hang on. So, what is mine? So, go from go from the app. Matthias, what's your favorite app in the, the store? The Actually, I have never looked. I'm, no. only, I'm only doing my own apps. I think the last time I looked in, into the store was, I think, a year ago. Really? Does honestly, it, honestly I'm, yeah. I'm just doing my own apps. There, there's some homework that you need to go look at. So, sorry about that, I admit, <laughs> but it's like, uh, I know that there was some F-point meeting app, which I liked. Oh, he's <laughs> But I never tried it, I just liked the video. That, I tried it, that was my crashed. baby. Yeah. Yeah, it, it works, was, it works. Yeah. What about you, Addis? Um, matter of fact, it was like, what I have been working the most is the is the apps of two large uh, business process management uh, okay. companies, we all know in the SharePoint world. They have decent apps for workflows for uh, cloud for, for the cloud cloud-based workflows. And I was using both of them recently. And it's actually okay, but I would give certain I would acknowledge certain truths in Matthias' word, uh, words that it 
things hasn't, haven't changed in uh, Office Store, SharePoint App Store in the last year that much. Yeah. What we hope to change. Thorsten? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have to say Meet Suite, of course. So it's a competitor to, uh, not really competitor, it's like Doodle for enterprises. Oh, cool. With internal and external authentication and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I think some of the big apps from the major players are, you know, they've achieved something quite good. And there's some useful apps around supporting SharePoint devs, you know, perhaps around working with new APIs and things like that. And the dev has chosen to do it as an app. Yeah, some useful stuff. What about you, Ray? Definitely our app. What's your so app? Our <laughs> app is a... Come on, you've got to get better at marketing. Yeah. What's your app? It's a survey product for SharePoint because SharePoint surveys are not that enterprise grade. So What's it called? Come on. It's called One Bit Survey Master. One bit survey. That's an easy name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, How does hashtag look like? <laughs> one, bit, one bit survey yeah. master. Cool. For me personally, the one I've been using the most is um, the. You've seen me use it if you've been in my sessions. Is the Poll Everywhere app that is available for PowerPoint. Um, so don't think about just SharePoint apps. There are a lot of apps for Outlook, like the LinkedIn app, and um, there's some good stuff around that you'll see a lot of noise around some of the uh, DocuSign stuff as well in Word. Yeah. But my favourite one is definitely Poll Everywhere. Yeah, because it, it's useful for me as a presenter. What about you, Rodrigo? Uh, I like the meetings one, then I tried the, the, the Ravi one. Yeah, I'm going to try your yeah. survey one. Yeah. Cool. So, do we have more time? Or? Yeah, keep going. Keep going. What do you think is missing? Rest services what for everything. Mean, what do you mean for it? like so in terms of what's what's in the server side object model? No, 100% uh, coverage of the API that is available to the CSOM yeah. side. You know. Yep. So so to add to that, everyone's kind of in agreement there. But um, so I've mentioned this before in my sessions. But user voice. If you've got an API that you're using in the server side object model a lot, which you would like to see in the client side object model, whether it's CSOM or REST. Submit it on user voice and then um, campaign. So get people that, to vote for it because we do have these w regular meetings internally with engineering and prioritize on those APIs. And the more feedback you give to us to make the decisions around what APIs that we need to build first, um, the better. It's not had as much engagement on user voice as I, I personally would have liked. And yeah, I'm making it my mission to try and really get you guys to have a voice that I can use to then go and talk to engineering. So if you see APIs that are missing, submit them, campaign, get the votes up, because that will help us make those decisions. As it's pretty embarrassing, the One, OneNote guys have an API as well now, which is awesome. Yeah. They created a user voice. Their user voice has got more votes than the whole SharePoint user voice has. So you, you know, you're doing yourselves a disjustice by not leveraging user voice, so please, Submit your feedback there and get the votes going on it. Even if you haven't got a new idea, go there and look what is there and vote on the ones you think are the most important. That, that would be my personal ask um, to make my job easier. Yeah, that's currently the problem. You know, I've also submitted some ideas, but yeah. you get no hit coin. From yeah, it. yeah. You've got to go problem. bribe people with beers to go and vote for yeah. you. Ah. <laughs> I'll vote for you. Just ah, that's you. like Alice Award yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right. what, other, what other things are missing? I think for me, a lot of the, the missing stuff is probably around templating and provisioning. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's lots of scenarios around perhaps having a definition for a site or a definition for a list, which we have sort of feature XML for, but, um, you know, it's, 
Microsoft would probably prefer us to move away from those techniques, but there's no easy equivalent in the app model yet. And really, you're faced with the decision of, do I use declarative XML in a sandbox WSP, which is still valid, according yeah. to Microsoft, yeah. or do I invest quite a lot of time in some remote code solution just to have some kind of site template? And right now, um, I prefer to use the declarative stuff in a sandbox WSP because productivity amongst my team of 20 devs is way higher with that stuff. Yeah, that's uh, so you mean using the wizards within Visual Studio to create them and deploy them? Yeah, yeah. as long as we're avoiding code in the sandbox, I think that's, that's okay for now. Yeah. It's not only about uh, site templates. Think about lists on the host web from an app. Right. Mm -hmm. So we are deploying a declarative sandbox in order to push all the lists to the host webs if the customer requests that and build the app based on that in order to don't script creating lists and creating content types. You, you need know? to add that to user voice, please, one of you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll vote. Uh, and then you'll vote, yeah. Big one that's missing is obviously elevation of privileges. Um, for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. For, for obvious reasons. Um, and sometimes you uh, do need that, and I'll give you a quick example. You're building a poll app, and um, you as a person creating the poll have access to maybe configure it but then your users who maybe have just read-only rights to the site, they just want to say, yes, I like option one to four, and you need to store that somewhere. Where are you going to store it? In an app, or are you going to store it in the SharePoint list? Which means that your users need edit permissions to that list in order to submit information back. Just a very, very simple scenario. Actually, with the app model, though, you can um, app only as the app only, which yeah. means you act as the app. But not yeah. if it's a SharePoint hosted app, yeah. so you don't have that permission. And you're just building a poll, a very simple four options, one button type of an application, and you don't have that capability in, in, SharePoint, hosted. in SharePoint hosted apps. You have to go provide a hosted app. So challenges. There's many. I'm sure if we start brainstorming this list, it's <laughs> going to be a big one. So I would suggest user voices. <laughs> great feedback. Great feedback. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I said that. <laughs> I hey, was waiting for it. We haven't said cloud in this. Yeah. Yeah. Cloud. Yes. So guys, okay, wrap it up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you for coming. <coughs> Thank you guys for for um, for being here. Uh, I think you, you're you're saving the the, the audio. Yeah. Be, so this will be on a pod show. There's a new pod show that I'm starting as part of my new role. So if you go to dev.office.com, you'll see the pod show up here. Oh, okay. And then we'll get it on the iTunes store and the Windows store. And so I'm going to be doing a few interviews with other people having these kind of conversations. But they will be open conversations. I'm not kind of paying these guys not to be honest and on what their opinions are. So keep an eye out for that show because hopefully that will help you guys to learn uh, the new app model as well. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of your Office 365 developer needs. All the links from the show are in the blog post on blogs.office.com WACDEV, where you can find the latest news about Office 365. If you have any ideas for new shows or questions for us, please join us in our Yammer group in the Office 365 Technical Network. Have a great week, guys, and keep coding on Office 365.